Welcome to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films every Friday morning from 9 to 10 a.m. Pacific and online at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. Using the eponymous 1978 best-selling book as its frame, The Meaning of Hitler, is a provocative interrogation of our culture's fascination with Hitler and Nazism set against the backdrop of the current rise of white supremacy, the normalization of anti-Semitism, and the weaponization of history itself. Shot in nine countries, the film traces Hitler's movement, his rise to power, and the scenes of his crimes as historians and writers, including Deborah Lipstadt, Martin Amos, Sir Richard Evans, Saul Friedlander, and many others weigh in on the lasting impact of his virulent ideology. The film again is called The Meaning of Hitler, and we're joined today by the co-directors, Petra Epperlein, as well as Michael Tucker. To both of you, welcome to Film School Radio. Welcome back. Hello. Hi. Let's talk a little bit about the inspiration, because I know this film, the process of making this film started four or five years ago, about that time. And in that time frame, there have been some significant historic events here in the United States and in Britain and other places. How much did this play into your desire to make this film? I'll start with you, Petra. So we were filming uh, in 2015 and 16 um, here in Germany, and we um, encountered like directly during the filming the right-wing movements here in Germany, Pegida, they uh, staged huge marches every Monday, which they called walks. So up to 30,000 people with torches marched through the night, um, chanting against immigration, politics, and um, lying press, and attacking the press, uh, which was directly from the playbook of the Nazis from the 30s. That was pretty harrowing, and that suddenly inspired us that we should do something. And then there were all the other events. Yeah, Michael, well, yeah, what the, the election of Trump here in the United States for many of us was a was a sort of a bad omen. Well, that was, um, you know, we had what was happening here. Certainly Brexit happened. Um, and there was, of course, like a very, you know, it was a pretty extreme right movement in the UK. Um, also things going on in Hungary, Poland. And then, of course, Trump. But, you know, again, back to this, there's a clip in the film of Sarah Silverman um, playing Hitler and kind of doing the Hitler-Trump comparison, which is quite funny. And, you know, it was sort of ridiculous at the time. It was sort of a farce. Like, we're all really worried about the future. We're all going to go to the bookstore and buy a book, and we're going to read our way out of this. And, um, And it's not so funny anymore, you know, today. Um, we've come a long way from that, and I think it was a it was a really interesting time to try to make a film like this because we were first everything was sort of theoretical, and now it's actually practical. So, I have to tell you, as I mentioned before we started, you know, I've been around a little while now, and there are so many things that don't bode well for the future and for people like Trump to become more and more significant. And one of the things that I feel like President Trump unleashed was permission for leadership and political classes around the world to behave like he does or has or was doing. That's one of the things that I feel is kind of the residue of Trump is this validation of his way of governance 
seizing power, marginalizing opposition, lying has become normalized as as we as I think is becoming more and more evident around the world. And all of those things are pointing in the wrong direction for us as a free society. Right. Like, <laughs> well, I mean, much we argue in the film. <laughs> well, you know, of course, in his case, here's someone who was elected, who? you know, Trump. Trump. But you know, it's the way he's, you know, the things you're talking about, it's and I think that's the only comparison that I would draw is the way he engages with his base. I mean, he is the loudspeaker of the people. Yes. I mean, he lets them not only feel, but lets them act on what they are feeling. And I think that's what we saw on January 6th was a certain number of people completely activated, feeling like they had permission to go do this thing. Yeah. And I think that's something that people should be very afraid of. I, I don't want to, I'm not intent to focus on Trump over the course of our conversation, but I just want to say one last thing about him in terms of sort of what he represents, I think, to the electorate, to the people who are fascinated by him. I've, I've always talked about him in the terms of he's America's id. He is the things that a lot of Americans think, but would never say out loud. He is the unfettered political id of America. And I think that there is, that's what I think he shares in common with Adolf Hitler was in some ways, I think that Hitler was the things that he said that no one was willing to say out loud and he was willing to act on those things. And I think that Trump has that impulse. Right, that's um, right. So Hitler gave the people permission yes. to, to not only think and come together um, to all their deepest, most terrible um, ideas they had. He also gave them permission to actually act on them and since um, back in the in, in, in Hitler's time, you know, after Germany uh, lost the uh, World War One, um, there was this perceived victimhood, and Hitler was actually able to make masses of people feel, feel good about themselves by telling them that 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 they are in the right, basically. And talking about parallels, that happens. I mean, I wouldn't even only talk about Trump, you know, you have so many of these demagogues um, ruling in the world. And that's basically what they are able to do. They can get people together and unleash their dark energies. I don't know how I would call it. Yeah. yeah. Well, Orban in Hungary, there are just so many there. And I'm not going to go through a long list, but there are there are leaders who have taken this playbook now and who are beginning to in, enact it in their own and their own political sphere of influence. Um, but I wanted to talk the, the book, The Meaning of Hitler, which was Sebastian Hoffner's book about him. And you open the film with something I think is a genius way of sort of un understanding Hitler and, and his rise is the word chaos, the creation of chaos as a sort of a political weaponizing that as a political mode of explaining or, or, or governance. And so, Talk a little bit about that, Michael, in, in the terms of the book, uh, The Meaning of Hitler, what inspiration did you draw from it? What is what carries over into the film? Well, I think that's, you know, the, the chaos is the undermining of the institutions of government. And I think that's the, you don't want an intact state organism, you want it to be fragmented. Um, so like this, everything becomes dependent upon one person. There is, there is a parallel there, and I, I think it's such a relief to wake up these days where you don't wake up to a tweet, you don't feel like off kilter or off balance. 
because government is trying to function in America now, whereas before everything felt completely like make it up as you go along, or it doesn't even matter if, you know, you know, who's running the ship. I mean, there's a huge difference, you know, Hitler was able to create a dictatorship. Um, America is a democracy. Um, Hitler was elected also, you know, but he always wanted to be a dictator. He didn't, he didn't want to play within a democracy. And so the first thing is actually he tried to destroy the state organism to replace all the existing structures just with himself. And so, yeah, he created total chaos. And then it's easy to look at uh, Trump's presidency and draw parallels, but ultimately, you know, America is a democracy right. and, and it, it functions and um, yeah, one should not forget that and be active within this democracy because all of us need to be part of it so it does function. And again, I want to I do want to draw away from the Trump Hitler, you know, connection. I just in terms of for I think for a lot of Americans, it's difficult to understand why anyone would ever bring this up in the context of we're not Germany in 1930s. We're not this and we're not that. But I, I do think it's an important history lesson. History does, in fact, uh, under certain circumstances, does repeat itself. And we need to be. You need to be aware of it. But I don't want to, but I do, it's so important. This film is so well made. I want to congratulate you in terms of the, the people that you talk to. And and I think in keeping with the spirit of the, the book, you you go through this and you demythologize Adolf Hitler over the course of where he was born, all of the things that have become kind of part of the lore. You, you deconstruct for us in the film and you bring in these wonderful uh, experts to talk about that. Tell me a little bit about sort of gathering these people together, sort of the the structure of the film and what, what your intent was with that, Petra. So we were inspired by this book and with, uh, by Sebastian Hafner and what sets this apart from many other, like the endless amount of other books which focus on Hitler's biography and Hitler's personality that he um, actually focused on what Hitler, what Hitler did and how he was able to use the masses to achieve his goals. So following, like so using the book as an inspiration, we went to people who, some of them were actually naturally fans of the book, like Martin Amos, for instance, or others, we just thought they were the ultimate like experts in their field. And they had to add something, not from the biographical point of view, but they were actually talking about what, what happened there. There was that, and then there was also, in fact, in Los Angeles, I, I mean, probably one of my favorite people, writers in the world, Saul Friedlander, he wrote this amazing book <clears throat> called Kitchen Death, which is really examining sort of, you know, the afterlife of Nazi images. And that really informed um, a really difficult part of the film was like, how do you make a film about Hitler? without overusing these images, without propagating this propaganda, you know, and how should we rethink, you know, our fascination with Hitler? Yeah, and I think you can't talk about that without talking about Triumph of the Will. Right. In terms of its its power and imagery, and that is, I, I mean, in some perverse way, it's one of the most influential pieces of cinema, maybe ever, in terms of just how often other filmmakers have sort of fallen back into mimicking it, but also the power of it. And there's something in the film that uh, well, I forgot who said it or how it came into the film, but the staging of the rally at Nuremberg, which is, I believe, where 
Triumph of the Will was filmed, right? I have that right. Yeah. Was Nazi staging was at once creating a spectacle for the present and a message for the future. And I don't know who's that's powerful. Let's just let's be honest. It's a powerful document. But in terms of just sort of telling the story of Hitler, how do we interpret how should we interpret those images? How can we deconstruct those images? I know you do so in the film, but what what's the practical way to sort of disabuse ourselves of this idea that this has power? I mean, the most important thing, but we should always remember this is not filmmaking, this is propaganda yeah. at its finest. It's so effective that um, we are still 80 years later are drawn to this. And most images, what we actually consume about this time, uh, was produced by the Nazis. And of course, they produced material what propagates their idea of themselves. Yeah, so Friedlander said that, you know, it's like in a huge play and it lives on for eternity. He says it more elegantly than me. But we need to remember that always when we start discussing the filmmaking of Leni Riefenstahl, we shouldn't even discuss that because, you know, it's propaganda. And, um, you know, there were people, they argued that all of this material should have been burned right after World War II. I mean, I don't know, it didn't happen. So it's kind of a pointless argument. But um, we really need to know that by watching that stuff and discussing it and admiring it, we are basically propagating the propaganda. Well said, well said. Uh, I, I, again, and here in the United States, we have some version of that, Michael, in that um, we have the symbolism of the Confederacy here in the United States to deal with, to kind of in the same way that that's propaganda for, uh, for traitors. Let's be honest. It's what the Confederacy was. And yet it still has power, right? Oh, absolutely. And I think, you know, they're, they're actually very similar mythologies. And, it's, and it, it's funny in both cases that they're very sort of like late constructed mythologies. So like there's the immediate aftermath of the war and how we processed all of this. But it's sort of shocking to see how how entrenched all of this becomes, you know, certainly in our um, media culture today, I mean, there's more Nazism available, like on all channels and all platforms than ever before. Um, you know, kids encounter this stuff totally out of context. Whereas probably when you were growing up, you probably saw it in a much more formal context with, you know, some yeah. meaning. Absolutely. I want to remind our listeners that we are talking with the co-directors of the film, The Meaning of Hitler. And that would be Petra Epperlin and Michael Tucker, the, the co-directors of this incredible documentary film. I saw this at Doc NYC, and I'm so glad we are able to be talking about this because it is something that I, I probably spent an inordinate amount of time thinking about these kinds of things. I was in politics for many years. I understand the way the political process works in this country. And I think that always lurking, it has been for now, you know, since our beginning, this is the beginning of the foundation of this country, two different strains of America. And one of them is dark. And the other one is civil rights and human rights for everyone, a welcoming ideology and a welcoming history that we have in some ways, but we have, we have something else as well to deal with. So this is, I think this is about Hitler. It's about fascism. It's about ideology. But it's about it's a, it's something that we should all be thinking about and be aware that these are these are things that we need to contend with moving forward. We will be contending with them. We're going to be facing some 
huge issues moving forward with climate, climate change and displacement, and how will this play out in a political realm moving forward in the world? And we need to be ready to deal with it. And I think there's tremendous lessons to be drawn from what I see in your film. Am I overstating my concerns here, if, if, if not? Oh, no. I mean, there's certainly a reason to worry and be concerned and be um, active about all your worries and concerns. And, you know, if we can achieve with this film to be part of that conversation, what needs to be um, going on, that would be um, amazing. But I think you also latched on to something, this idea of you know, there's sort of like two ways of engaging with the world. And you know, Yehuda Bauer, the historian, says it in the film, and he talks about Hitlerism. And there's sort of like this idea of, um, you know, human beings or animals that kill other animals. On the other hand, we're also herd animals. And so we get to make this choice. You know, are we like collective or are we like individual or do we sort of like, you know, muster around the cult of the individual. And um, certainly as we were finishing the film when the pandemic was starting, um, I think we're seeing that play out in real time here. How do we choose to, to deal with a crisis? You know, part of it is really encouraging and hopeful and then part of it is really disappointing when you see different responses. Yeah. So, you know, those are the choices we'll continue to make. Yeah, I agree with you. I, I will end on this uh, at the, uh, suggestion of Saul Friedlander, he, he suggested that you travel to a place that I had never heard of in Poland in as part of making this film. And I wasn't, I, I think we're all familiar with the concentration camps that we've heard of for many, many years, but I was not familiar with it. Sobibor, yeah. how do you Sobibor, say Sobibor, Jets and uh, Treblinka. Yeah. He's the larger death camps. They were not concentration camps. They were just pure death camps. People were just brought there to die. Yeah. And you traveled there with this. Again, I had not ever heard. I had heard the term death camps, but I always assumed that it was just another way of saying concentration camp. I didn't know about this. And I'm shocked that I did not know. But this was just nothing more than just moving people through a machine machinery that killed them. Is that a fair way to put it? Yeah, that's basically what happened. A... Yeah, in those extermination centers, there was no, they literally, trains arrived, people were sorted on the ramp um, at the station, and then they were brought, in the case of Sobibor, they were brought into like a narrow, a narrow opening that was, I think on both sides there were trees and also some like, some thatch, and they were sort of wound through this you know, into this, to the gas chamber. Gas chamber. this extermination center. And it that, that, that's probably the most profound thing we've ever filmed is just this empty forest where there literally is nothing and you just sort of have to be there and comprehend what happened or try to. And it's, uh, we went there twice and it's, um, it's, it's really, really powerful because it's, it's just, it's the absence of anything. There's not, there's not a trace of anything left, it's just trees. Yeah, and anyone who goes there is like, there aren't really even words to, to describe how you feel there. Another great film to uh, watch about that is Shoah from Cloud, by Cloud Landsman, who went there so many years earlier when people who actually, the people who live there must have experienced that firsthand, you know, when all of that happened. So that must have been a completely different experience. But to add to the movie watching experience, everyone should watch Shoah anyway. Yes.
Yes, they should. Well, I want to thank you both for your work, your the body of work, and for this film in particular. Again, it's it was all I was hoping it would be. I, I when I saw the title, I knew I was going to have to watch it, and I'm so glad that this is an accomplished piece of cinema, and it should be seen by everyone. The film is called The Meaning of Hitler, and we've been talking with the co-directors of the film, Michael Tucker and Petra Epperlin. Thank you so very much for, for your time and for, for your work, for the body of work in, in this in particular. Thank you. Thank you for having us and stay vigilant. Oh, thank you. You've been listening to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films. You can find out more about the program at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. Thank you for tuning in, and we'll see you next week with another edition of Film School Radio. Thank you.